When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Well, tomorrow is the 60th anniversary of the Kennedy assassination for reasons that um, that we've gone through. People are still very interested in this event, uh, it, which really does sort of mark a change in everything that happened after it when it comes to American history. It also serves as the backdrop of a fascinating story written by a great writer who's also something of a a renaissance man. He's a writer, a director, a producer, whole bunch of film and television credits to his background, huge background in computers and engineering. He's worked with the House Committee on Science, Space, and Technology, and he's written uh, a whole lot of books. He's written novels, all also done a lot of other things. He is uh, really kind of like an onion. You pull back a layer, and there another one is right there. Very pleased to welcome best-selling author Tom Avatabli, whose newest book is Ask Not, a JFK murder mystery. Tom, it's great to see you. Great to see you, Frank, and thanks for that wonderful introduction. I don't get paid enough. I just realized that. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. All right. Hey, um, you were in the fourth grade when JFK was killed? I was in Mrs. Tronconi's class and uh, came over to PA system, and she, in fact, I dedicated the book to her because uh, she explained to us what that meant. And uh, three days later, I wrote a, a composition, one of my first writing endeavors, and she gave me an A on it, and it was all about Kennedy. Uh, and she had taught us about it, and then I kind of regurgitated it. Um, interesting though, Joey Lanz was the kid in class who could lick the bottom of his shoe (laughs) and that was his claim to fame. And as soon as we heard about this, Joey Lanz said, we should bomb Russia. But of course, you know, in fourth grade, in fourth grade, Mm -hmm. but of course he had no idea who killed Kennedy. And today 65% of the American public still have no idea who killed Kennedy. So we're in the same league as Joey, you could lick the bottom of his shoe. (laughs) I want to talk to you about your new book, Ask Not, but uh, talk to me about the uh, the significance of the Kennedy assassination in altering the American mindset. As someone that remembers, you know, because in fourth grade you remember what's going on, what America was like before and after. Well, you know, for a lot of people, and again, not it's not a monolithic group. For a lot of people, Kennedy represented uh, hope, youth. Uh, prosperity, a new frontier, his uh, his inauguration speech asking for personal responsibility, that's not what you can do for your country, that's what your country can do for you. Um, it was a whole new paradigm. The old men were gone, and this young, vibrant, energetic man and his wife were now leading the country, and he had different ideas. 
Those ideas got him killed, by the way. But he had different ideas, and his idea was war was hell because he was involved in war. He was a, a hero of World War II. He knew the cost of battle, yet he was a silver spoon kid, you know. So he, he was straddling both worlds, and he didn't believe in Vietnam. He didn't believe in the Bay of Pigs. He didn't believe in the CIA being, you know, the all-powerful thing it was. We didn't know any of this, of course, back in the – we were watching Leave it to Beaver. Everybody was happy. Things were good. Prosperity was up. The baby boom generation was growing up, as I was a part of. The World War II generation was, you know, settling uh, a lot of old scores with their their lives coming back from the war and getting uh, Levittown and all that stuff was going. It was great. And then, bang, we were all rudely awakened and – kind of rocked out of our existence into this gruesome reality, which memory kind of fogs it, but nobody saw the Zapruder film for 12 years later. So all we had was the, the assassination of a president and assassinations in American history are far more frequent and uh, attempted assassinations, far more frequent than anyone would think. Uh, even uh, FDR, they tried to kill him. Uh, so it's not far into our political uh, nature, but this young president, mm. the promise that he held for many people was the how could that happen? And then, wrongly characterized as a lone nut, it seemed Oswald was the least significant among us who could take out one of the greatest among us, and that upset a lot of people. That it was we were all that vulnerable. It seems that uh, the Kennedy assassination, along with Watergate, a decade or so later. Mm -hmm. It led to a new level of cynicism among the American public. Do you agree with that? I do, but there was a 12-year coma, okay? It's, it's not – it compresses when you think about it. But the first uh, discordant note to the – and what we're talking about really, let's just go back for a second, is the Warren Commission. The Warren Commission was a pseudo-governmental agency that was submit, uh, created by LBJ in fear of the Russians, okay, because he felt – if Oswald was seen to be a communist, that the American people would be hankering for a war with Russia, which would be nuclear. In fact, when he, when he strong-armed Earl Warren into taking over the commission, he actually had him crying. He said, you'll be responsible for the mm -hmm. death of 40 million people, you know, if this gets out that this boy was a communist, <laughs> you know, all that stuff. So, um, but nobody in America, we were living in a, a coma. In 1966, a rest of judgment came out, Mark Lane. That was the first real shot across the bow that maybe – we weren't being told the truth. Most Americans just went on with their life and said, great, okay, it was, you know, lone gunman, three shots, no conspiracy. And they were willing to accept it. Um, but then the ripples started. But it wasn't really until 75 or I think 76 when Robert Groden, who was a, a uh, someone I worked with on the screenplay back in 93, when Robert Groden went on the Geraldo Rivera show and showed the Zapruder film mm. for the first time, that's when the proverbial hit the fan. Because up to that point, uh, if you thought anything was different, you were a nut. And all of a sudden, here's this film that if you all saw the JFK movie, you know, back and to the left, back and to the left. Uh, that motion was not seen because uh, Life magazine bought the Zapruder film for $100,000. The next day, they spent 50000 more to buy the film rights to the film they already bought, which is kind of it's a legal thing. Mm -hmm. but they, they bought the film, but not the right to show it. So they spent $50,000 to show the film, and they never showed it. It was Robert Groden who worked in a film lab that stole a bootleg copy and brought it on to Geraldo, and that started everything. So the real winter of discontent 
didn't happen until the Zapruder film. Interesting. Interesting. I'm going to uh, uh, call up Geraldo, and uh, I know he, he's still very interested in that, and see if he wants to chat about that uh, that instance tomorrow, because I hadn't uh, put that together, but uh, you're right. That does make a lot of sense. Now, if it wasn't already painfully obvious by what you've said, why do you think so few Americans believe the official story of the JFK assassination, that Oswald acted alone? Well, like it is in my book, Ask Not, by the way, um, we have uh, – it's become the largest cottage, cottage industry in America almost, okay? A couple of hundred, maybe a thousand books, thousands of articles, TV shows, documentaries. YouTube's full of it. Here's the fun part about it, and I say the fun part about it. We all love a warm conspiracy theory, Okay. And we can all make one up because a lot of people believe the Warren Commission is nothing more than a conspiracy theory. Case in point, um, JFK and his brother RFK fired Alan Dulles from the CIA for the Bay of Pigs mm-hmm. debacle. Fired them. J, uh, LBJ put him on the Warren Commission. He was the fox in the hen house. There were Mark Lane in 1966 came up with 60 witnesses that said, no, I saw it right there, right, 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 <laughs> right there on the fence. And man, with a gun. Nobody talked to them. Okay, the Warren Commission went to great pains to shun them from their report. The FBI lied to the Warren Commission. The CIA not only lied to the Warren Commission, but through Alan Dulles directed a lot of it. So we had a very simple uh, myopic view of the assassination that fit a narrative. And that narrative was Bill Moyers, before he was a PBS guy, mm-hmm. was, was an uh, LBJ guy. Right. And there's the Bill Moyers memo that specifically says we must find that – he did it. He did it alone, and there's no conspiracy. And that's based on the fact that if you listened, if you looked at the KRLD uh, live uh, kinescopes, all the reporters in the room were like, was he a member of a right-wing group? He, met, he, he was part of a right-wing group? And when Henry Wade, the DA, says, uh, no, actually, he's, uh, he belongs to something called uh, Treat Cuba Fair or something like that. Well, interestingly enough, there's a clip where Henry Wade, he's trying to remember fair play for Cuba. But he can't because it's 1130 on the day of the assassination. And somebody in the room goes, fair play for Cuba. And Henry Way goes, oh, thanks, Jack. And the camera <laughs> cuts. And it's Jack Ruby in the basement of the DPD oh, wow. correcting Henry Wade on something that Oswald was involved in that nobody knew Oswald's name until three hours earlier. And what they – the fair play for Cuba was Oswald on the radio and TV in New Orleans, not in Dallas. So how did Jack Ruby know all about the fair play? For- you got to send me that clip. That's that's interesting. I well, don't think I've I, seen that. I, nobody has because I saw it years ago. I cannot find it on the internet. Wow. I've talked to every researcher. Now, there is a shot of Ruby in there with a pad playing reporter. But the actual interaction with Henry huh. Wade, there is a video where Henry bumbles it again. And he says, well, like I said earlier. But you can't find the earliest. That's wild. That's yeah. I, I did not know that. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with uh, Tom Avatabli. His newest book is Ask Not. It is a JFK murder mystery. You can get it on Amazon and uh, most other places. Books are available. And or, or really simple to go to asknotbook.com. Oh, that is simple. Asknotbook.com because you'll never spell my name. Exactly. And- <laughs> I was going to give the, the web address based on your last name, but I, I didn't even attempt. Asknotbook.com. Uh, so you started this in its current form, basically, in um, 1993. You mm. were writing and researching a screenplay. What was the screenplay that you were writing and researching? The screenplay was called Ask Not. 
And it was based on the 30th anniversary. We're now at the 60th. And it was a story about a long-haul trucker who can't deliver his books to the Texas School Book Depository because the president's in town screwing up the traffic. Mm. So he stands on Elm Street with everybody else. And when the president motorcade goes by, bang, bang, a lot of pandemonium. He hits the dirt because he was in Guadalcanal. And as he's laying there, something hits him in the face, and it's a Polaroid, an old Polaroid, you know, the kind that you had to peel back to see. Sure. And he looks at it as a drop of blood on the Polaroid on the back. And he sees all of a sudden people rousting people, pulling their cameras, pulling their film and everything. So he puts it in his pocket kind of absentmindedly and he gets jostled by a, a Secret Service guy or a cop. And he says, what do you got in your pocket? And he reaches in his pocket and it's an Oklahoma speeding ticket. And the cop throws it on the floor. He goes back home to his little trailer. He's a cigarette smuggler on the side. He makes trips to Mexico and he gets the cigarettes without the stamps on them. So his trailer is full of them. He's got a Mexican wife and her mother living in the trailer. And he goes back and he opens up the Polaroid and he, he just he loses it. He's, what he's got is a picture of the guy behind the fence shooting the president, the president's head exploding, which is Mary Mormon took the, the only Polaroid we have, the only picture we have. But the next picture she took was right in sync with the headshot in my book. And that became uh, Mormon number seven, Polaroid number seven. But the, you know, how come the screenplay didn't come to fruition? It sounds like there'd be quite a, especially going into the 40th anniversary uh, 20 years ago, it sounds like there'd be quite an appetite for that. Oh, I have a funny story about that. Um, I raised a million dollars to make the movie from a guy. I knew I had this deal. He was a big Wall Street trader. When I went into his office, he had the fender flags. From the Lincoln Continental from Dallas. He had bought them for $20,000 in auction. So I knew I had a fish on the line. Great guy. Mm-hmm. But he, I knew he loved JFK. And here was a book. He was a, a movie, Ask Not. And he gave me a million. Said he'd give me more, but I had to go find more money. You know, it was like the, it was like the Wizard of Oz. Right? Right. Bring me the broomstick of the Wicked Witch of the West. Anyway, I made a deal with somebody in New Hampshire to hook me up with somebody in Georgia. The whole thing was a scam. Did you know there was a GBI the Georgia Bureau of Investigation? I did not. I didn't either until I had to use those guys to try and get my money back. But I lost a lot of money oh, trying to get the funding. Well, that's a shame. It uh, is. It is. So that kind of fell through. Uh, and like my, my character Cyrus says at 30 years, nobody cares anymore. So he feels he can sell this thing. And he sells the Polaroid. And from that point forward, everybody who touches it dies. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. You've written a lot of novels on a lot of different subjects. Yes. Uh, a lot of them are seem pretty true to life. Uh, things that uh, that could happen or that may happen. Some are a little bit more outlandish. Why focus on this as the setting for your story? I know you've been working on this in some form or another at least since 1993, maybe even as far back as the fourth grade. Why focus on this out of all the stories you could tell? Why this story? Well, actually, point of fact, uh, in June, RFK Jr. announced he was running for president. And one of the fun things he said was, I have proof that the CIA actually said, well, I have proof. I can't do him, but I have proof that the CIA killed my uncle. And when I heard that, I knew we were headed for a major confluence or perfect storm because the 60th anniversary was coming up. 
And here's uh, the nephew of JFK saying he has proof his father was the attorney general. So I said, this is going to trend. This is going to start bubbling on that new thing called the Internet. Mm -hmm. So I called my publisher and I said, listen, I've got a screenplay that's essentially an outline. Let me blow it up into a book. And he said, ah, I can't touch it for 10 years. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's crazy. You're cra you know, but actually he said 10 months. Uh, so I found a publisher in Florida who said, I have no problem getting it out for November. So we rushed it into production. Mm. So the first book was Rushed to Judgment in 66 by Mark Lane. I, then I rushed my little book into, <laughs> into production. Um, but it was based on JFK. And then something happened while I was writing. And this is really interesting, Frank. Uh, Paul Landis, Secret Service agent, who was assigned to Jackie. I was Jackie's just going to ask you about that. Yeah. Wow, it's like we read this exactly. same, same cheat sheet. Yeah. Um, Paul Landis, uh, Secret Service agent for 60 years. And folks, I have n there's no explanation for this. But he came out and said that, guess what? He found a bullet on the back of the limousine totally intact. Now, if you're an assassination person, you know about the pristine bullet. The Warren Commission called it the single bullet theory. The critics call it the magic bullet Ooh, theory. And it's all because the Warren Commission worked themselves into a corner. The first thing Walter Cronkite said to America was three shots rang out in Dallas. How did he know it was three shots? Mm -hmm. We're talking 15 minutes after the assassination happened. There was no link. There was nothing like we had. Took him another 22 minutes to hook up to Dallas, their own affiliate. How did he know there were three shots? It was like the story was already set, right, for a lot of people. Anyway, the, the whole idea was that the, the, the commission was – really backtracking and they put themselves in a real box because we know the first bullet missed. If you took, if you're in the three shot theory, the first one hit James Tague, who was a bystander down by the triple overpass, overpass, mm -hmm. underpass, overpass. <laughs> and the, um, so they knew the first shot missed the second shot. They had a figure was the one, which was the magic bullet because we know the third shot as brutally shown in this Bruder film was the one that so, uh, hit Kennedy in the head. Right. right. So, but they had seven human wounds through Kennedy, through Connolly, through Connolly's wrist, laying in his thigh, and then, according to the theory, fell out of his thigh in the hospital, wound up on a pristine stretcher with no blood on it, and an orderly on his way to the bathroom found it. Well, some people do question uh, Paul Landis and that. A hundred percent. And, and, and I, I'm with you on that. And um, I just want to say everything. There's only two things we know about the Kennedy assassination. The president's dead. And Ruby shot Oswald. Mm -hmm. That's the only two things we know. Mm -hmm. Everything else is up for grabs because there was no documentation. So Paul Landis, when he came out and talked about, he had two stories, an A story and a B story. The A story was the magic bullet. The B story, that's the next 60 years. That's the next 60 years of conspiracy theories. He said he found bullet fragments in the back seat. Freeze frame. Tom Wicker, New York Times reporter, 50th anniversary, Times Center, New York. Tom Wicker is, there's Tom Wicker, there's Dan Rather, there's Ike Pappas, all these people who are famous in news, mostly because on their sleeve is the stripe that says Dealey mm -hmm. Plaza, by the way. They're all up on the stage and they're doing their remembrances of that day in Dallas. And they're waxing elegant. These are reporters, these are writers, these are people who know English. So Tom Wicker tells this great story. Like what I remember, and I'm paraphrasing, what I remember most about that day was the bucket. There was this bucket and it had water in it and a, Secret Service was washing down the back seat, and when they squeezed the sponge into the bucket, it made the most incredible shade of crimson water. And the audience went, ooh. That was his memory. So at the end, they had questions, and I got up on the mic, and I was the last one. And I said, excuse me, 
Mr. Wicker has just described, you know, the desecration of a crime scene. Has any of you ever worked a crime? And they shut my mic off. But here's what we got. We have a live, and I have pictures of that bucket outside Parkland Hospital, exactly as he described it. The Secret Service washed down the back seat at the orders of LBJ before the president was even pronounced dead. What Paul Landis says is he pocketed the magic bullet. Okay, take that for what it's worth. But he talks about two fragments in the back seat. The entire 1,600-page, 26 volumes of the Warren Commission only mentioned four fragments in the front and one under Nellie Conley's seat. There was no mention of anything in the back seat because those bullet fragments could have been washed into that bucket that Tom Wicker saw in that beautiful crimson water. Wow. Uh, if people are just tuning in, we're talking with Tom Avatabile, Avatabli, uh, uh, <laughs> the author of Ask Not. You can go to asknotbook.com. So it is fiction, but there are a lot of elements of nonfiction in the oh, book. Oh, my God. Obviously. Yeah. Um, tell me about the character Hank Larson. Hank, Hank, I grew up really admiring airline pilots, okay? To me, most of them came from the war. They had nerves of, you know, nerves of steel. I remember when one of the planes went down, the last thing that was on the voice cockpit reporter was a guy went, damn. That was it. His whole life was just about to be extinguished, and he didn't curse, he didn't scream. He was constant professional all the way down into the ground. And I thought these guys were amazing. So I made, in 1993, I made my protagonist an airline pilot because the book is actually a, transcontinental chase. He's chasing down all these artifacts and chasing down all these things about the Kennedy assassination 30 years later, 1993. So he needs to jump planes and fly all over the place. So as a, as an airline pilot, you take a jump seat or you deadhead and you know, you just get a lot of courtesy flights and stuff. So a major part of the logistics of the book have been absolved by the fact that he's an airline pilot, but he was also a war hero. Gotcha. Yeah. So uh, his brother dies, and he, his brother was, you know, heavy set, not, not really a, a sports guy, but his brother was a the writer for, like, all these magazines like Playboy and Wii at the time. And he wrote all these stories about, like, uh, you know, the, the uh, aliens and the UFOs and, uh, you know, all the strange cult things and, of course, the JFK assassination, which was fodder for these magazines. Uh, on that note, Tom, uh, stick around because I have to take a quick break, but in a moment – I'm going to ask you the million-dollar question, the question that I think a lot of people have been very eager to hear your response to. Uh, Tom Avatabli, author of Ask Not, joins us straight ahead. My guest is uh, Tom Avatabli. He's the author of the book Ask Not. You can check out the book, asknotbook.com. Get get yourself a copy. All right, Tom, the million-dollar question. Obviously, Ask Not is a fictionalized account of something that could have happened. Yes, what do you think did happen? God's honest truth with everything that you've raised, everything that you've talked about, thinking about this for the last 60 years, what's your best guess as to what the truth is about the Kennedy assassination? What I'm going to tell you is just as valid as anything else anybody else can tell you unless they exhume and re- reanimate Oswald and mm-hmm. Kennedy. Just as valid. I've come to believe, and I did believe in the Warren Commission, But I come to believe that what Oswald said is probably true. He was a patsy. He was set up. There's some incredible stuff with George DeMorne Schilt, who was Uncle Georgie to Jackie, who put him in the school book depository. I mean, it gets wacky and crazy. But he was seen in the lunchroom at the time when the motorcade was supposed to pass by, by two women in the Warren Commission. George DeMorne Schilt. No, no, Oswald. Oswald. I'm sorry. 
Oswald was in the lunchroom. Now, he didn't know that Kennedy had decided to stop and shake hands, so the motorcade was delayed. It was supposed to be at the trademark at 1230. That's when he was shot. Well, and it should have passed by 1220, 1215. He was in the lunchroom. If you're planning, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're planning to shoot the president, you're not sitting in the lunchroom. So in 20 seconds, give me your best. Uh, he's a patsy. Guess. He was he was set up by the CIA that was working with the mob to get Cuba back. And they wanted to blame it on Castro. Tom Avatabli, the book is Ask Not. Check it out, asknotbook.com. Tom, we're going to have you come back soon, too. I'd love to. Your influence counts. Be sure to use it. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.